Um, and I want to thank Jim for the opportunity to come and speak here today. It's great to be with you and uh, have a chance to talk about Michigan and actually the Republican Party and some of the opportunities I believe we have and some of the changes that need to be made. Um, if you step back and look at it, Michigan is a comeback state. I'm proud to say that. The work is not done, but it, and it's not about government doing this. It's about a partnership of all sectors coming together, and that's where um, the auto sector is a big part of our comeback, and General Motors is doing a great job. It was great to see at the Detroit Auto Show, Car of the Year, um, the Cadillac made right there in Lansing. And the quality of products, it's the best I've ever seen in my lifetime, and they're only going to keep getting better. So that's exciting to see. Um, but if you step back and look at Michigan, we were a broken state. Um, and we are coming back. And it's by doing things differently than we've done them in the past. It was actually time to acknowledge that Michigan's future was not in the rearview mirror. And unfortunately, that's how we sort of got in the mess. I'm proud to say in Michigan's history, we were probably the greatest state in the United States for many decades. If you go back to the auto industry being created, not just autos, chemicals, furniture, pharmaceuticals. I grew up in Battle Creek. I grew up with Tony the Tiger. That was pretty cool. <laughs> um, but we sort of took it for granted. We got complacent. We got content. And we went in the tank because of that. We didn't reinvent ourselves. We didn't stay up with the world changing. And it was about time to do something about it. 2009, we reached the bottom. And I'm proud to say in 2010, we started turning it around. And we've been going uphill since then, and we're just going to keep going. So jobs are coming back. We brought back almost 200,000 of those 750,000 jobs. Personal income is growing among the top 10 fastest states in the country. Homes are being sold again. Home prices are coming back up. A lot of good things. But I'm not going to talk about a bunch of facts like that. I want to share some of the principles we operate on. Um, because in many respects, I think the public sector in America is somewhat broken. I think the culture is broken in many respects when it talks about the political culture in our country. So one of the things we're doing in Michigan, we're doing it in a different way. I'm following some fundamental principles that I think are making a difference. So three in particular I was going to share with you. The first one is this concept of customer service. One of the questions that isn't asked often enough is why does government exist? We take it for granted. We complain about it. We talk about it. But when was the last time you actually had a thoughtful discussion is why does government even exist? Well, in Michigan, we define it. The role of government is customer service. The role of government is to serve our citizens as customers, to make a difference in their lives in a positive way. When I became governor, most of the people came to talk to me. They'd walk in and say, Governor, we need money or we want money. And I mentioned this morning, I never said it to them, but what went through my mind is, is, what do I look like, an ATM machine here? That's not the point of government. <coughs> point isn't to go spend something, it's to say what outcome are we going to do for our citizens, our customers that make a difference in their lives, and then once you agree that's something that's needed, what resources are needed to achieve that outcome? We need to get back to that. That's one of the fundamental principles. The second one is how you approach it. And there's an approach that I use all the time, and Brian, I appreciate that, relentless positive action. Well, what is relentless positive action? It's an operating model that says you don't blame anyone for anything. You don't fight with people. You don't worry about credit. You say, here's a problem, and let's solve the problem. And then when you're done with that problem, you're relentless to say, what's the next problem, the problem after that? And you just get the job done. That's what we've been doing in Michigan. And it's great to have our congressional people here. I, I thank Dan and Terry for joining us. They're great people. They're doing good work. But if you think about it in Washington, this is a mess. 
Where would we be, though, if no one in Washington would fight, blame, or take credit? How much time would we have to solve problems? And isn't that what we need to do at the national level? So we should get that job done. Relentless positive action does work. It changes the dynamic dramatically when you're not going to waste time arguing with someone. They don't know what to do quite often. They're sort of confused. It's like, he's not fighting with us. Well, I have no, no value in that. And the blame game, have you ever seen blame solve a problem? Has blame never put in a solution? It's wasted time and energy. So that's a big part of it. A third phenomenon we do is something is we work in dog years. Um, that's not a familiar term to most people. <laughs> now where'd that come from? When you're at the bottom, you've got a lot of work to do. And so what I told our team is when we came into office, we had four years worth of work to do in the first six months. But the point was is we had a lot more than six months or four years worth of work to do. I mean, we're making up for 50 years of going in the tank. So I thought about it and looked around. Well, let's see. Four years, six months, closest I can do is seven to one, dog years. That's it. <laughs> and we believe it and live it. Because the way I view it is it's an honor being elected governor, being hired by the citizens, the customers of our state to do this job. And there's a clock ticking. I've got an opportunity to do this for four years, or if I'm fortunate enough, I may have an opportunity to do it for eight years. But that clock's ticking every day to say, how much can you get done to make a positive difference to your customers' lives in that time frame? And that's exciting. There is a sense of urgency, because the citizens deserve a better answer than they've been given. Now, let me talk about two or three things that we actually applied this to. And I'm going to stop, and I'd love to take some questions from you. But one of the first things is job creation. That's job one. Well, first of all, again, is stepping back to say, what's our role as a customer service organization? Our role isn't to create the jobs. Brian and a bunch of other people are doing the great things creating the jobs, the companies. Our role is to create an environment for success, a playing field for success. And so we went about doing that. We had the dumbest tax in the United States, the Michigan business tax. It wasn't bad, it was flat out dumb. So one of the first things we did is we went in and got rid of it. Just said, because when I was running for office, I ran against some of these other fine people. They'd come and say, we need to cut it in half. We had a surcharge on it. They'd say, we got to eliminate the surcharge. And I did simple math. I said, well, if you take dumb divided by two, it's still dumb. Get rid of it. <laughs> so we got rid of it. But then we did regulatory reform. We're doing talent matching now, which is one of the biggest future opportunities, which is matching the supply and demand of talent. We have a mismatch in our country. where we have too much unemployment, we have too many open jobs, and it's because we've never put supply and demand together for our most important asset, our people, the talented people of our country and our state. And Michigan is going to be a leader in doing that. We are going to lead the country in doing that matching. So that's an application on the jobs front. And that's critically important. The next one I want to share with you, though, is on the idea of fiscal responsibility. And one point I'll give you about a broken culture in the public sector is too much is short term. There are very few people thinking longer term. And that's an extremely flawed model. If we looked at our home life, if we looked at our business life, we would never make financial decisions the way we do in the public sector. And a lot of the public sector decisions are flat out dumb. Um, because we think too short term. We don't think about longer term implications. Well, in Michigan, we're thinking about the longer term. 
I'm proud to say I'm the only CPA in the country that's a governor. God knows we could use a lot more CPAs as governors in these positions. Um, because we're taking a longer-term approach to doing things. We're modeling things out. I can tell you different conditions in Michigan. We do miles through 2040. And why is that? Well, if you look at the current model, and this is, I'm speaking to both ends of the political spectrum, you got a whole lot of people that say, we need to go spend a whole lot of money, a whole lot more money and spend our way out of this problem. And then you got a whole lot of people saying, we need to cut everything. Let's cut government out of existence. And neither one of those answers is right. There's a middle ground to say, let's be financially responsible both long and short term, just like we're a family. So in Michigan, we're looking at our, all our long-term liabilities. We took $20 million off the balance sheet or have put in payment plans for that much money. We're building models to say we can essentially have mortgage-burning parties for our long-term liabilities between 2034 and 2038. I've joked to people, the job people should want is being governor in 2038 Michigan. It's a sweet <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> Because that governor is not going to have to look at the rearview mirror at all the rocks we're looking at today. They're going to be able to build to the future, an exciting future. And isn't that cool? Now, the third one I want to share with you is one that too often Republicans skip over. And I don't think is right. And we sort of don't talk about this, or we're not proud about this, or we sort of see ground on this topic, and it's about taking care of people. We're thought of as too often as the, the party of the business person. Or just thinking about jobs and not thinking about people in need. And that's ridiculous. I'm proud to say in Michigan that we're doing a much better job of taking care of our customers, the people are, that are in the greatest need in our state. That's been done in a very long time. And we're not going to stop. We're going to give them great service because they deserve it. I'll give you one illustration of a program I'm really excited about. It's called Pathways to Potential. And it's Customer Service 101. And what is it? It's about our caseworkers, our social workers, and human services. What's the traditional model? The traditional model is you have a government office someplace, some bland office building, quite often we don't, or rent space. Um, and what we do is we tell all our clients, our customers, you have to come visit us. And we tell this to people that might have to take one, two, or three buses to get there, spend a long time to get there, to go wait in some line, to get services. And that's not right. Can you think of any successful business where you tell your customer you got to come to us and you got to have a huge hassle to get service? It's crazy. So what do we do? Is we said we're going to put those caseworkers, those social workers, in the local elementary schools, the public schools in our neighborhoods. And we've done that. We've done that in over 100 schools already in Michigan. We just started this program last September or so. So we're, again, doing dog years here, doing this in dog years style. We've done over 100 schools now. So the principle is, is they can walk into their local neighborhood. They can walk into the school that their kids could be going and get services right there. That's customer service. The other difference is, is that person can see them in their own environment and see how we can help them in other ways than what they may just be walking in and ask. And one illustration is, is we had these at the beginning of the school year in a few pilot cases. One of our social workers saw this young girl coming into school in flip-flops, first day of school. And that's possible, it's warm enough still, but she started talking to her. She found out that there's a mother and three other kids and they're all homeless. Our social worker was able to get them in a shelter and start helping them. 
Now they're in rental, a rental apartment. The mother's now working on completing her GED. She's working part-time. The brother of that girl was a major problem in school. He's now won awards in math and attendance. That's customer service. That's what we should be doing. It's cool. This is exciting. So think about that. We should be showing leadership in every area. Again, leveraging customer service, leveraging the fact we're not going to mess around arguing with people. Here's a problem. Here's some common sense. Here's a solution. Let's get it done. And to do it with some urgency, to say our customers deserve real service and fast service. Those are principles every one of us would believe in if we were talking about treating someone else in our family or in every business that you're in about the customers you have in your business. But we built a screwed up model in our public sector where we typically don't follow any of those three principles. The way to be successful, the way to bring our country back, is to get back to those fundamentals. Let's just get the job done. So I may be a nerd, but what I'll tell you, this is not rocket science. And that's my passion is to say, let's just bring that message and get the job done. So that's where I appreciate the opportunity to share with you. And I leave you with, I gotta leave you with at least one commercial. If you really want to see it done right, come add more jobs and business to Michigan. Because <laughs> we're the place to be. Um, but it does work. So what I'd like to do is, uh, I have one other thing, and then I'd be happy to take a few questions. I think we got some time for that. Is that right, Jim? So I'd like you to come up here for a second, Jim. I, I just have to do something that's atypical, because again, you can see I don't believe it. I'm not a career politician, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do and not do. So I want to have some fun here. Because typically when someone comes and speaks, quite often they'll say, well, we want to give you something or thank you somehow. I want to reverse it today. I have something for you. A new car! <laughs> no, it's actually not near that nice. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean No, that's a good line, though. I like that. <laughs> There's some cool cars. We can think of that. I was doing it. You know where to find the car. But I love your concept, what the Ripon Society represents, but you are geographically and historically challenged. So So what I'd like to present to you is actually something that happened a few years ago. There was an opportunity, and this is a piece of the oak, of the oak tree from Jackson. <laughs> the birthplace yes. of the Republican Party. This would be a classic to present to the Ripon Society. A piece of the oak, which is the other claimant to the foundation. Oh, this is just marvelous. Thank you so much. I used to work many years ago for Jim Dunn. Jim Dunn represented Jackson, Michigan. Jackson, Michigan is where this tree was found. This, it comes full circle. <laughs> Thank you so very much, sir. And Brian, you get the first uh, question since you were the interview. So please. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Governor, um, when you took office, the state had a $1.5 billion deficit. The rainy day fund was on fumes. Today, the books are balanced. The rainy day fund, I believe, has half a billion dollars in reserves. What, I mean, as Washington Koreans from the, you know, 
crisis to crisis and been unable to solve the fiscal problems. You were able in Michigan to cut taxes, cut spending, but also identify new revenues, which is tough for Republicans to do sometimes. What advice would you impart while you're here? I mean, you mentioned in your speech several things, but specifically to solve the, the fiscal problems, would you bring to bear here? Yeah, besides the principles, I'll give you a, a real life illustration, Brian. I actually volunteered to say, come cut the, the money you give to the states. There weren't a whole lot of governors joining me in doing that. But I did that when I was at the NGA. I said, I think we need to be willing to take our share of the cut because we can't keep spending what we're doing. Math simply doesn't work. So I said, we all need to participate. So I said, here's the deal. I said, I'm willing to, for the state of Michigan to take a pretty good shot in helping contribute to this problem. But I said, here's what we need to do. And so I'm just giving you a very tangible illustration of how the states can help. As I said, Workforce development. There are over 40-some programs in workforce development. Child services, there are over 70-some federal programs that are prescriptive programs. And I said, I don't believe prescriptive programs are the answer, nor do I believe block grants are the problem. I, I wouldn't give myself a block grant to be open like that. What I believe in are outcome-based programs to say, let's agree on a handful of outcomes and measure us and hold us accountable for delivering results to our customers. So I said the best answer in workforce, for example, is, is blow up the 40-some programs. And let's sit down and negotiate over five outcomes, three outcomes, three things you want to measure us by, something like that. And I said, throw out all the overhead. Just think about the overhead in those 40-some programs. You're talking billions of dollars that are non-value added. I mean, this is the kind of cut we really need to get to. And to say, I believe we can provide better service and hold me accountable. And then let's do it in child services. The child one drives me even more nuts because it's like, you can't slice and dice a kid 70 ways. We should be able to sit down and figure out the, the key metrics in a few ways. So that's fundamentally shrinking government, but allowing us to be more accountable and responsive. And so I use that as an illustration because my view is, is I didn't want to come say negative things about Washington. I want to say, I'm not here to talk about your problem, no blame. You know, no fighting. I'm bringing a solution to the table. My solution is is to help cut me. But here's a way to do it so we can all win. And to be open with you, um, nobody listened <laughs> at this point in time. So I'm still offering that. I've offered that for over close to two years now. And I hope somebody here will take me up on it. And I know there's some good people in our own delegation that appreciate that response, but collectively, can we get enough momentum going where people say, yeah, that's all of us working together to solve the problem? Yes? I wanted to ask a question about the coming Obamacare and the implementation of it. One of the things we hear here, here in Washington is that uh, the systems challenges are very significant and that it may not be possible for the states to, who are interested in, in uh, implementing the program to be able to do so by this fall. What, what's happening in yeah, a good question, and to repeat it, all of you may not be able to hear it, it was about the Affordable Care Act, um, and you used the term Obamacare. I always use the Affordable Care Act, because again, I don't want to get in the, the blame and all that kind of stuff, so I go to the technical title. Um, and from a system side, is it something that can really be implemented? Because there's real challenges from a system side. Well, that's actually one of the best questions someone's asked me. Um, no, I want to give you credit because a lot of the questions tend to be more on the policy side, but you're asking a very practical question. 
And the answer is, I don't know how they're going to meet their deadline from a system side. Um, and I've shared that. I've said that to people within the administration and to the federal government that, to my knowledge, they haven't released a lot of the information to the states to know how our systems should interface with the federal systems to do the program. And I can tell you, I used to run Gateway. And not only did I run a computer company, I had multi-million dollar IT projects working for me. IT worked for me. And as an old IT guy in two capacities, if I'm sitting right now and I don't have the specs on what I have to do for a project that's due in six months, I'm terrified because the odds of getting it to work are pretty slim. So I actually suggested that people in the federal government should be going to look in the mirror pretty quickly and asking that question because I don't know how they're going to get it done in the time frame. Um, because, one, they haven't told me enough. It, it is theoretically possible they could get it all done. They just haven't shared it. But as an old IT guy again, that's not the right way to run the railroad. So I would stay tuned for that. Yes? Governor, in, uh 1981, Guy Jack, who was the first honoree at Ripon, in the new Ripon, made sure everybody knew that Jackson was as important as Ripon, Wisconsin. So Guy, Guy did you good back then. Michigan has been, always been a leader in exports. Um, what are you doing in the state on the global commerce side to reinvigorate the exports from Michigan and are you doing any type of international trade development for the state? Yeah, we're making a big comeback on exports. That's something that had um, been, didn't have the attention that merited, in my view, um, in the sense that we, we didn't have trade missions even to China um, for over a decade, basically a decade. No one had even gone to China at the state level in terms of formal delegation. Um, I've gone twice already. I'm going again in the fall. Um, we're doing that outreach, we're doing that explanation. Exports are growing very dramatically in Michigan. Part of redoing our tax system when we got rid of the Michigan business tax, we actually put in a simple, fair 6% flat corporate income tax that was only sales factor apportioned. So it actually encourages exporting out of Michigan. So we're, we're a great state. If you simply export, you're, you don't pay anything in Michigan, even if you have assets and people. Again, assets and people don't cost you anything in Michigan from the corporate income tax side. So we've created a very export-friendly environment. So you're seeing that happen with um, the auto industry again in terms of wonderful stuff going on. Agriculture is booming. If you can't, any state in the nation that's not having a boom in exports for agriculture is absolutely missing the boat. And that's good for another 10 or 20 years um, in terms of upside. So we're pushing hard on that. One other big project I have that I, I got to throw this one in is the first one is there's a bridge we want to get built. <laughs> uh, and we're simply waiting on a presidential permit at this point in time. And I hope that's coming soon because that's a huge project that, again, will end up being the busiest border crossing between Canada and the U.S. and the Canadians are just fabulous partners. Yes. Governor, uh, <coughs> admittedly my focus is on Washington, so I'm a little hazy about this, but I understand, and I think most people would agree that if any city in the country needed more customer service at the right place, it would be Detroit. And you are about to take or are taking some actions in the state now to uh, uh, <clears throat> supervise those services in the city. Do you care to elaborate on what your plans are? Uh, well, I, I'm still not in a position to give you uh, all the details. That There's some decisions that need to be made in the next couple days, two or three days most likely. 
Um, so it's that imminent in terms of decision making. But in terms of outcomes, what I'll tell you is um, the, the city of Detroit is going to get turned around. Um, and it's going to come back. And it's about time. And I don't speak in this in the terms of um, everyone outside of Detroit, but the citizens of Detroit deserve a better answer. They're my customer too. And so we need to give them better services. We need to get to financial stability. And part of the Michigan coming back to be a great state, that we need to have Detroit on the path to being a great city again. I'm not going to sugarcoat this to you, because what I'll tell you is, is I don't think there's any larger challenge in the entire United States than the turnaround of the city of Detroit. I don't think there's a larger single issue or problem. I don't think, I've not found one person to disagree with me yet, which is, puts it in perspective. But, and this wasn't a recent thing in making. In 1950, Detroit had 1.8 million people. Today it has probably around 700,000 people. And so we're gonna make it happen. And it's gonna be something that I think hopefully will be a positive illustration of what Americans can do particular Michiganders or Detroiters can do when people really focus in on using the principles I talked about. Yes. Uh, with the announcement of Senator Levin retiring, Mr. Rothenberg here in D.C. said the Republican Party shouldn't even bother putting a nominee up. There's no chance. Give us the state of the politics in, in Michigan. Do, do we have potential nominees there? Oh, yeah. I think there's a great opportunity for the Republicans to win a Senate seat. Um, I sure hope they do, because I hope there's somebody else going to do pretty well in the election in a couple of years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, the way I view it is, is 2010, we heard the same word, that Michigan's a democratic state, a strong democratic state. We swept the ticket. Um, we kept a majority in the Senate. We won the House back. We won basically all the other races, top to bottom. We won all the constitutional <coughs> officers. Um, and I'm not sure why it should be any different for 2014 as long as we work hard and do our work and communicate well. So I think there's a great opportunity for a Republican to become a senator from Michigan. It's probably the best opportunity. You have an open seat and you're running on a ticket with the governor is at the top of the ticket. So I hope we get a lot of people interested in that. I think there's some great potential candidates out there and I encourage people to step up and go for it. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm Rick Dykeman with Congressman Rohrbacher. Um, my wife and I have a lot of ties with Michigan, and uh, we're strongly considering retiring there. But uh, then you decided to uh, tax pensions. And I'm just wondering if uh, there's any thought being given to uh, revisiting that decision and you know, looking into how much revenue it actually gained versus how much you may have lost from people who would have otherwise moved to the state and paid other kinds of taxes? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. Because um, that's one of the things, to put it in perspective, that this was uh, something that created a fair amount of controversy. Um, and if you, if you went to normal political school, think about this. Normal political school is if you went to, what would be number one on the dumb list from a political perspective? Taxing pensions. Taxing pensions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be the number one. It'd be the, viewed as probably the dumbest single thing you could do. And we went out and changed our tax code to include that. But let me tell you why. Because it was the right thing to do. And I don't say that lightly. It was really a question of fairness and equity. 
Um, because one of the things I ran on is, is about jobs and kids, keeping our kids in Michigan. And what we'd done is, is we had gone back to the 60s. In the 60s, we exempted a bunch of public employee pensions. And that was a dumb thing to do then. And what happened then, later on, is they decided, let's exempt some private things then and be even dumber. And why do I say that? A couple things. One is, is if you have someone that's a senior that's having to work, they're still paying income tax, and the person not working doesn't have to pay. I don't think that's fair. The other thing is, is by exempting all those pensions and things like that, we still need to raise the same amount of revenue, basically, right? So what we were doing is we were redesigning our tax system to put the burden on our young people, the people that everyone told me we wanted to keep in our state. So did it make sense to say, let's shift our tax burden to our young people when they first start working instead of creating an environment that's fair so everyone gets a fair way? What I can tell you beyond that, though, is we grandfathered it in. For people that are currently seniors, we didn't change the rules for them. And the other piece we did is for seniors in Michigan, it's still more favorable than the rest of our citizens because we still don't tax Social Security. And we left a special exemption that will apply for even younger people that will go on of $20,000 for a single, $40,000 for a couple, for all forms of income. So it deals with that person that had to keep working. Now they're going to get an exception, that extra exclusion, just like the person with retirement income. So we're treating them fairly now. So there's still a benefit to being a senior in Michigan. It's not as much, but it's a whole lot fairer based on what type of income you have, and it's also not dumping on our kids. So again, that's one of the cases of, do you live in a political world, or do you live in a world that you just have to stand up and say, people are gonna get mad at you, they're gonna yell at you, but I believe it's the right thing to do. So I appreciate the question, I'm glad you asked, because that's why I always enjoy sessions like this, is because people say, well, he did this awful thing. It's like, now that I talked about it, hopefully people can step back and say, well, I understand, and isn't that fair? So, thank you. One last question. Nancy Johnson. Along that line, would you talk a little bit about unions and government? In what regard? I could talk quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would leave it open to you because you really had some remarkable experience with organized labor. And yet, uh, I, I have many a manufacturer saying a good union is a good partner. So. And yet, you see this, the administration really just extinguishing non-union activity through the, the National Labor Relations Board. But the Republicans now are taking such a terribly anti-union position. That seems so uh, useless to me, too. I'd just like to hear you, you say whatever you want to say. Sure. <laughs> no, with respect to unions, unions in Michigan played a, a very positive and important role in our history. I mean, there are a lot of bad things that did happen. If you go back to the early part of the last century, part of the great era, there was also a lot of abuses and unions stepped up. And why did people join a union? Because they needed to join a union to address some problems. The issue in many respects is I'm not sure the unions have kept up with the changing environment to fulfill that customer role still for their customers, the union members. So what I would tell you is I believe in collective bargaining. I've done collective bargaining. So it's never an issue of collective bargaining in my view. I do it with state employees. I've done it more than once. And we've been successful in doing that. I believe we have good relations. Um, the freedom to work concept, the right to work issue, people call it more commonly. I call it freedom to work. Because it was really a case of stepping up for workers. 
I, it's not an issue between the relationship between an employer and the union. It's about the relationship between the union and the worker. And to be blunt, I'm going to take the worker side. And the issue there was is people weren't seeing value from joining a union. And the point is, is if a union can show value to their customers, their potential members, someone should be happy to join a union and join and receive the benefits. And if they don't see value, they shouldn't be forced to pay a whole bunch of their money. It's too hard, too hard to earn those dollars. So I viewed it as really stepping up for workers, not being anti-union. Because it really created a better environment long term for us to be more successful and more accountable. So again, that gets back to customer service. So I appreciate that question too. Well, thank you. Uh, Jim, it's great. To Governor, you. thank you very much. The godfather for the Republican Party is uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He was always thinking outside the box and trying to do things a, a little bit differently. And, and listening to some of your anecdotal evidence this morning, I mean, common sense solutions, putting caseworkers in schools so people don't have to take two and three buses to get there to wait in line. I mean, that is so common. And this is what we think in terms of, of providing a forum for excellence in government. We thank you so much. This plaque will go into our office with a great deal of honor and will be hung there for many, many years. Come back and please accept this token on behalf of the Ripon Society and Godspeed. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, everyone.